This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Father, thank you so much for your word this morning. Lord, uh, may it be to us a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew chapter 8, verse 23. And when he was entered into a ship, or the ship, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered with the waves. But he was asleep. And his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we perish. And he saith unto them, Why are you fearful, O ye of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. But the men marveled, saying, What manner of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? Now, we've seen so far as we've been going through Matthew here that there was a great stir among the people as the Lord had finished the Sermon on the Mount. The mood of the people was really expressed in the last verse of chapter seven, where it says in verses seven, well, last two verses, chapter seven, verse 28 and 29, it says, it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribe. So that's the mood. This teaching was astonishing to them. It was astonishingly different from anything they'd ever heard before. So as soon as he comes down, from the Sermon on the Mount, there's great crowds. As it starts off this chapter, it says in verse one, when he was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. So as soon as the Lord is coming from the mountain, there's a movement that started. There's a movement that's swift. He's trying to make his way to Peter's house. Great multitudes are following him. A leper breaks through the crowd and comes to him and he heals the leopard. Messengers of a centurion Roman come to him pleading with him to heal the servant of the centurion, the Lord decides to take a detour, go with them. They've asked him to go to the centurion's house. 
and he's on his way to the centurion's house, and before he reaches the centurion's house, the centurion understands that he's coming, sends more messengers to the Lord and says, don't come to my house, I'm not worthy, and he heals the servant from a distance then. Then the Lord comes to, to the house of Peter, in which his mother-in-law is very sick, she has a big fever, and he heals her. It's nighttime, you should be going to sleep, get some rest, but no, now at the door there's a great multitude of people from the city, they've come, they're bringing their sick, he heals them all. The next day the crowd is getting, even getting larger, it's becoming a hyper-emotional crowd, and the Lord sees this and he says, no, we're gonna leave, he gives a command that's gonna depart to the other side, He's on his way to do that. A scribe comes to him and impulsively says, I'll follow you wherever you go. The Lord tells him about the foxes and the birds and they have dwelling places. He doesn't. He says to that disciple, count the cost. Then another disciple comes from the other spectrum. The uh, first one was too eager. The other disciple comes and, and says that he's not eager enough. He says, I'm gonna come, but first, wait a minute. I gotta go and bury my father. The Lord tells him, no, immediately follow me. Finally, the Lord finds the ship, the ship in verse 23, when he was entered into a ship, his disciples follow him. Everyone sees the Lord as he's getting into the ship, and they see behind him his, his followers, the disciples following him, getting on board the ship with him. And so what everyone sees is this common fishing vessel that, that's used there. I mean, this is the Lord of glory. He's the, he's the great prophet. He's the king of the Jews. He's not getting in some big elaborate vessel and saying to his disciples, well, you follow, follow along in your own ships. No, there's no VIP ship here. There's no VIP boat for the Lord. It's, it's the Lord getting into one of those common fishing boats and his disciples doing the same. It wasn't exactly sanitary, but that's how his disciples were traveling, and that's how the Lord was traveling, because the Lord would not be in any other place than with his disciples. And that picture of the Lord in that boat and his disciples and them setting off in that sea there, which is going to turn out to be a life-threatening storm, it's a picture of really Noah getting into his ark with all humanity that was going to survive the storm with him, and the Lord closes the door. And that little statement in verse 23 speaks volumes to us when it says, his disciples followed him. He got in the boat, the disciples followed the boat. It's so precious because it speaks so much. His disciples followed him. That's what disciples do. They follow him. That's what we do. We follow the Lord. Wherever the Lord goes, the disciples follow him. Wherever the disciples are, the Lord is there. And when those disciples got into that boat following the Lord, you could imagine the day was beautiful. The sea was calm. It looked like such going to be such a great little uh, sail across the, the lake there. And little did those disciples know that when they got to the middle of the sea with no way to turn back, that they would be caught in a storm that they thought they were going to die. They didn't know that when they got into the boat. But for that moment... All those disciples knew when they got in that boat was beautiful day, calm sea, perfect, perfect. They were following the Lord into the boat. And the only reason they got in the boat was because they were following the Lord. As he got in the boat, they followed the Lord. They followed the Lord into a calm sea. 
They followed the Lord on a beautiful day. They did not follow the Lord into a stormy sea. There wasn't a storm going on when the Lord got into the boat. There wasn't. Because their first priority was to be with the Lord. And the Lord had promised, God, had, God does this, God promises to be with us on the calm seas and also through fire and water, is what he said in Isaiah 43.2. Isaiah 43.2, where it says, when, when thou, not if thou, but when thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through, if, not if thou walkest through, but when thou walkest through the fire, thou shall not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. So when they got in the boat, we can imagine that how the Lord was there, and then the Lord didn't turn back to them and says, okay, fellas, uh, we're gonna have a real smooth sail now, just enjoy the ride as we go over to the other side of the lake. That wasn't what happened. And when we follow the Lord, the Lord doesn't turn to us and say, now you're gonna have an easy street for life now. For the rest of your life, just enjoy your life, enjoy your life. No, that's not what happened. So the disciples were not promised that there's gonna be a great sail, there's gonna be no storms in the sea. And we're not promised that we're not gonna have any storms in life. But what those disciples had with them in the boat was the Lord. And what we have as we go through the storms of fire and water, we have this promise of Isaiah 43.2, Isaiah 43.2. I will be with thee. So the disciples didn't know what was gonna happen when they got on the sea, and it was probably a good thing that they didn't know what was gonna happen. And the disciples also didn't know that they were gonna see something unbelievable, unimaginable. It was gonna be an adventure for them that they were going to see something that they never thought they could see. Just like what it says in Isaiah 42, 16. Isaiah 42, 16 says, I will bring the blind by a way, and notice this, that they know not. I'll bring the blind by a way that they know not. I will lead them in paths that they have not known. I will make darkness light before them and crooked things straight. These things will I do unto them and not forsake them. All that emphasis on they didn't know, the blind didn't know. All that emphasis on the blind is the way they know not, on paths they have not known. It all shows that something they've never known before. The disciples had never seen a man with such powerful words to calm a stormy sea and violent winds. They never saw that before. And that applies to us. When we pray, we should get ready. Get ready to see something we've never seen before because that's what the Lord said. That's what the Lord said is gonna happen in Jeremiah 33.3. Jeremiah 33.3, call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. In Ephesians 3.20, Ephesians 3.20, it's speaking about God, it says, now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. So the disciples get into the boat with the Lord, and it's known, I mean, they knew very well that that Sea of Galilee was very unstable, instantly could turn into a violent storm. And knowing that, it would have been much safer, take a little longer, but much safer to walk around the lake 
to just go by land to the other side. But there were no disciples who said, you know, you guys go by boat, I'm going to walk around the lake, and, and I'll meet you on the other side. It's safer. Have good sail. Nobody said that. It was enough that the Lord had said, follow me, and that meant putting themselves in danger to go by this boat to the other side. I believe I told you the story before, but about 15 years ago, I and two colleagues from Scannabodies, we were going to Ethiopia. It was going to be the final trip to Africa. We had had it with Africa. We were going to close down our operations there. We were going to pull out of Africa. We could not find an African builder, because Clint wasn't there, <laughs> to construct our facility in Ethiopia. And because they were all trying to take advantage of us, they were doubling, tripling, quadrupling the price within weeks. It was all like, how much money do you have? The, I called it the African disease. The African disease is, oh, you're Western. Your function in life is to give me your money. I'm African. My function in life is to take your money. So we were just mad, and I was mad, and I was personally mad at Africa, and I wanted to get out as soon as possible. And we had an early morning flight that day from uh, Nairobi to Addis Ababa, the capital of Ethiopia, and we were right at the entrance to go into the airport at the door there at the security check at Nairobi Airport. We had invested so much. I was irritated. I was angry. We'd been there for years, invested so much in our African business, which was really designed to bring the gospel to Muslim women there. That was the purpose. But, you know, you can't go into a Muslim community and say that's your purpose, so you go as a business. And so now they're kind of irritated and needing some kind of distraction and so I was amused, and I was watching this young American family. Very amusing. The father was loading up all their luggage on the scanner belt and, and trying to collect all the passports, and the wife was trying to, to keep her three little kids together like cats hurting cats, you know, and, and I was running around, and I was just having a great time. I was so amused. I was so distracted. And I was forgetting about my anger over Africa as I was watching this amusing sight. So I went up to the wife, and I said, well, where are you from? And she said, Iowa. I said, that's nice. I said, <laughs> I said and, you know, because I'm just, we're just enjoying the conversation. I said, and where are you going? And she says, Sudan. And Sudan, the blood began to rush to my head. I got really angry. I yelled. I said, Sudan. All my anger came back. I exploded. I said, Sudan, why would you take your vulnerable family to Sudan? Sudan, don't you know they don't talk with words? They talk with bullets? Is he going to get your, your kids killed over there, yourself as well? And I was yelling, and I said, why, why, why? Why would you risk your family going to Sudan? You know, you know voice, my voice was raised, and people about me were ready to call security. And they had everybody in the room is looking at me, looking at her, this sweet little woman that I'm pelting. And a childlike voice with all that, she looks at me and she says, because God asked us to. <laughs> that was the last word spoken. <laughs> that was the most silent flight we had ever been on together as a team. From Nairobi to the two and a half hour flights, nobody said a word. We landed in Addis Ababa. When that, all we kept thinking about was because God asked us to. And when those tires hit the, runway of Addis Ababa, we knew we had to stay. And we went down to our property, and the most expert Ethiopian builder in the region, who had also been the high school 
uh, principal, knew all the, knew everybody there, all the men, named Bakela. And Bakela had been working on the polio clinic across the street, and he came across the street, the dirt road, and he walked up to us and said, I hear you need a builder. We said, yeah. He said, I'll build all your buildings. Oh, yeah, how much are you going to charge? He goes, I'll do it for free. I said, for free? Why? I love this. I love my people. I know you've come to bring jobs. I want to have jobs. And he did. And we hired him. He still works for us today, Bakella. But at that point, it was much, going back to the family, it was much safer for that family to stay in Iowa and not to go to Sudan. But they did it because God asked them to. And it'd be much safer for the disciples to walk around the lake to the other side rather than to risk this unstable sea. But they got into the boat because God asked them to. And it would be much safer for Adina and Randy, who are now in their 60s, to live out the rest of their life in the comfortable places of San Diego or Indiana and not to go into the dangerous region of a Muslim region in northern Nigeria. But they do it because God asked them to. And many would prefer to sail out the rest of their lives in safe way. Go on the land, not on the sea. Go to heaven on the land where it's safer rather than on the sea to get to heaven. But the disciples followed in the boat because he asked them to. And so what happened was that just what's typical of the Sea of Galilee in verses, verse 24, it's a behold statement. Behold, didn't expect this. Here it is. Behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. So there were not any disciples on that boat who had refused to go and were walking around, as I mentioned, walking around the lake. There was nobody yelling from the, from the shore. Oh, just what I was afraid of. Okay, that's why I chose to take the safer way instead of the sail. But when that storm happened, we can be sure that that the disciples were thinking, although not verbalizing, but were thinking, after such a wonderful, beautiful last days, we have to face a deadly storm at sea? And we can be sure the disciples were saying, we've seen him heal a leper, we've seen him cast out demons, we've seen him heal a servant from a distance. Couldn't he prevented this terrible storm that's swamping our boat now? And they were 100% correct. They were 100% correct. He could have prevented that storm. Just as Martha said to the Lord, when Martha, uh, Martha was the brother of Lazarus, and Lazarus who died, and the history is all in John 11, John 11, verse 1, John 11, 1 says, now a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. Verse 3, John 11, 3, John 11, 3. Therefore his sister sent it to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby, glorified. Then in verse 17, John eleven seventeen, 17, when Jesus came, he found that he had laid in the grave four days already. And then the verse in verse 21, John eleven twenty one, 21, John eleven twenty one, 21, where Martha says, then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died, and she was 100% correct. Just as the disciples were 100% correct in thinking he could have stopped this storm, and he could have prevented Lazarus from dying. He could have stopped the storm. He could have prevented Lazarus from dying, and you and I are 100% correct when we think he could have prevented this trouble that's hurting us right now. He could have. 
But allowing the death of Lazarus, the Lord had a goal, a goal, which was the famous verse 25 of chapter 11, John 11, 25, John 11, 25. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. That was his purpose. That was his goal. That's why he allowed Lazarus to die. By allowing the storm on the sea, the Lord had a goal. He wanted to teach the disciples. He wanted to teach them faith. He wanted to teach them courage to face a storm in life. He wanted to show them all power is given unto me in heaven and earth, Matthew 28. All power is given unto me, even power over winds and seas. And that's what the Lord's doing here. He's allowing this storm to happen so that he can teach them a lesson in the middle of the lake. You know, my first university I went to was Miami University of Ohio. And um, it was good. We had lectures. We learned about, they didn't have biochemistry, so I had to study zoology. That was good. But I'm so glad when I came to UCSD 50 years ago, it was a young college. I was the third graduating class. And I went there to study biochemistry. And what was so great about it is they had something we didn't have. Miami, well, didn't have that many. We did have some. Lab courses. We had lab courses. You know, if you go to UCSD today, forget about it. They don't have lab courses. They really went downhill. But UCSD had lab courses. Like I can say they don't have dates. It's a shame that they don't have it because you, I learned, you learned so much in a lab course. You know, it's like here's one hour of lecture in a week and then six hours of lab course. It was so great because in the lab course, we would use what we learned in the lecture. And we learn in the lecture, these are the reactions that make chemical synthesis, that do organic synthesis. And in the lab, you actually did organic synthesis and you built those chemicals. It was great. For me, it was in those lab courses where biochemistry crystallized for me. And that's not to be a play on words. Because the lecture was just head knowledge, but the lab course made the lecture come alive. And those lab courses are what inspired me to set up Scanabody's laboratory. It was just because I loved working on the bench and, and following procedures. That's why I don't even think anything of it, about I'll spend three hours cooking a meal because I like doing that in the kitchen. It's a lab bench for me. Some call it a kitchen, I call it a lab bench. Well, because the lab bench is where it all comes together. And the Sermon on the Mount was like the lecture, it was the lecture class where the disciples learned the head knowledge. They learned the principles. For example, in the Sermon on the Mount, during that lecture, Professor Jesus taught them the principle, God cares for you, God watches for over you in Matthew 6.30, Matthew 6.30 from the Sermon on the Mount. He said, wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast in the oven, shall he not much more clothe ye, O ye of little faith? They learned that God was gonna take care of them, head knowledge, lecture, lecture course, Sermon on the Mount, on the lecture course, and if they were tested, they would have gotten an A. They would have gotten an A because they had knowledge, they had it. But the stormy sea of Galilee is the lab course. That's where they had to put to use what they learned in the lecture on the Sermon on the Mount. They learned in the lecture class in the Sermon on the Mount that God cared for them, that God was going to take care of them. But then when it came to the lab course of the stormy sea of Galilee, that's where they were called on to put to use their head knowledge from the Sermon on the Mount. 
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.